Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. My motto of the week is... What's your motto? Be more Gemma. (laughs) Now, tell us how you've been more Gemma. Well, Gemma is the daughter of Michael Owen, and she's one of the contestants in Love Island. She's very beautiful, and she's a dressage rider. She's got 12 horses. And at first, I didn't really like her because she's very cold. She's very demanding. But actually, as the weeks have gone on... I've actually fallen in love with Gemma and I think she is fantastic. She takes no rubbish from anyone. Good on her. She's very upfront with the boys and doesn't want them kissing her. And I think we should all be more Gemma and you should just go into the world with a sense of entitlement. And actually, if you don't measure up and you don't treat me in the way I deserve to be treated... Bugger off. Bugger off. Bugger off. So this week I've been more Gemma. Boundaries. It's all about putting in. Because people have been disrespecting me and I'm like, but I'm a star. There aren't many stars. Treat me with some respect. So I've been more Gemma. Did you say, do you know who I am? Sort of, yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. No, I think we need healthy boundaries. We need to, to put well, Gemma's got her boundaries. Yes. Gemma's you, got her you, boundaries. Bedroom now, you, back door now. And I think she's a great role model, Gemma, and I want her to win. But does it make her likable? Is she But is, do we care if people don't like us? You know, people don't like me. I don't care really. I just want to be treated in a certain way because I deserve to be treated in a certain way. You know, let's just lighten up. It's young people with lovely bodies on an island in the sunshine. Oh, God, I'd be there if I could. I don't think the island's big enough. (laughs) In me thong, do you know what I mean? But I think the, the young men are just as judged for their bodies as the women are. are. They are. And I actually find quite often in these things that that the men are actually quite sweet and the girls can be a bit of a cow. But the men are so into going to the gym and honed and the hair and... Lovely. The men are just as body conscious as the women, I would say. Oh, if not more. And they're completely judged for it. We think it's all just the women with Botox and everything, but it's not, it's the men as well. But, you know, it is, it is, it is an, a window onto what those people, they look like adults, but they're actually still children, really. They're all in their 20s. They're, they're still not fully formed, really. But they've bought into an image, haven't they? They've got this image, they've got this particular lifestyle, 
and it's a certain sort of person that goes on Love Island, which is great entertainment, and I wish them all well. But it is, there's, there's me and you aren't going to be on there, are we? I would go. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> if they had geriatric Love Island, I'd love to see that. Would you be? I'd, love, I'd give anything to see. That. <laughs> oh, would the men even survive? Were you three and a half men? You know what I mean. You like you'd be working your way through like water. But none of them talk about anything else other than their relationships. They don't talk about art or what they've read or what they've seen or where they've been. Or they just talk about being in a relationship. It's quite bizarre. Well, it's it's such a. I mean, it's like Big Brother, isn't it? It's such a completely false situation. They, they, it must be so intense. I mean, you know, when you were in Brother, it must have been so Yeah, but I was intense. completely my... Don't you agree? I was completely myself in Big Brother. You know, you looked absolutely bored with them. You just got your coffee, looked at them, scowled and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> Shook your head. Went, <sighs> you did a lot of that. You did a lot of... <sighs> walked off. <laughs> but I think you, you just... You forget the cameras are on you. At first, you think about the cameras, but, but at the end, you, you're past caring. Well, that's. I think there was a whole video on YouTube of me putting on blusher. <laughs> it like went on for hours. <laughs> I think it's clear though that you forget about it. All these people that end up like shagging people in the beds and stuff. I well, mean, no one shagged me on Big Brother. No, and you had some quite crumpet in there, didn't you? I feel sorry. Yeah, no. I had Leaf and Blue. Exactly. I would have definitely have crept in with Lee. Lovely Lee. I'd have, I'd have slept walked. Down, down the aisle. But the, I think the, the, the only nice thing about Celebrity Big Brother, because I didn't see a penny of the money, and I got sacked for doing it as well, so I was actually in, negat- I was in negative equity. The nice thing about Big Brother was I was with a group of people who I had stuff in common with. Yeah. So the rapper, the bailiffs actually turned up at Big Brother because they saw who he was. No. Um, Lee from Blue never made any money from touring and having hit records. So we were all in the same boat, really. So it was quite nice to be with people who had tried to succeed in their careers but had nothing and were forced to do that. Yeah. You had Jim Davison as well, didn't you? Yeah, well, he was made bankrupt. Yeah, so yeah. we all had this co- thing in common. Yeah, 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 yeah. But who, who would think I'd be in a swimming costume on national television? It's absolutely insane. Well, I have to say that was hilarious. And I told you about Lionel Blair's toothbrush. No, you did. That was, re- that was really revolting, wasn't it? Not many people have lovely clean toothbrushes. I mean, I always put my toothbrush in the dishwasher mm. and then I replace it. People have terrible toothbrushes. I couldn't believe it. And it's like, I've got a new section on my column, everyone. I don't know if you've noticed it. Um, And it's called Jones Moans. And it's, you know how all the other columns in all media go, what does India love this week? What does so-and-so listening to this week? No, not my column. My column is, what does Liz loathe this week? So one of my Jones Moans is women who wear earrings in a pierced ear... And don't put them in surgical spirit overnight. That's just dirty. I don't do that. Your ears get very mucky. I don't take mine out. Mine are in constantly. You like, need... literally constantly. No, no, no. I don't think I've even got no. surgical spirit. 
not putting your earrings in surgical spirit overnight is the equivalent of having guests to stay and you haven't changed the bed. That's just dirty. No one's climbing in my earlobe. It's not sterile. <laughs> so I have this habit of putting earrings in surgical spirit overnight. And I remember I had to go to Paris when I was first made editor of Marie Claire for the couture shows. And I'm having breakfast with my executive fashion editor the next day. And I suddenly go to her, no! And she said, what? And I said, I left my diamond earrings in surgical spirit in the hotel room at the Hotel Montalban. They're going to throw them away. She had to do an emergency dash to the hotel to get my earrings. So you've just proved my point. Don't take them out and put them in surgical spirit. Leave them in your ears. No, it's dirty. It's dirty. So I moan every week about things that annoy me. So if you want to email or tweet us about things that really get on your nerves, DPD drivers... Hermes. Or your GP receptionist or anyone who's got on your nerves, people, tell us. People that walk across a cross seat in front of you, when you've stopped for them and don't say thank you. Run them over. Oh, they them just over. keep walking. They don't make eye contact. Run them they over. Going. Do you know, I've revved. I've revved. I've been tempted. So I'm more Gemma. What are you this week, Nick? I'm quite calm. No, you're not. You slipped your disc again. Oh well, apart from that's why I'm calm because I'm very high on tramadol and codeine. I've yeah, I've well, I've not slipped my disc. But Listeners, have you ever heard of anyone who had more illnesses than Nicola? Well, I haven't sli- I, I slipped She's my disc. She's got something wrong with her foot, which means she can't stand on Plantar it. Plantar fasciitis, yeah. She <laughs> now right. slipped her disc. No, my I slipped my disc t- about two years ago, and I, it's just aggravated over the last couple I'm of aggravated. days but I couldn't I couldn't even I had to wait for Martin to come home to get me off the city to take me to the toilet it was really awful really awful even with all the drugs it was awful but I'm feeling a lot better now and I'm quite chipper until the next illness until the next illness <laughs> but I have been reading a very good book Jane Fallon's book new book come out last week and it's called Just Got Real it's about a woman who misrepresents herself to meet a guy that she's been talking to on a dating app and so she's not sort of told, That's told the truth. That's called catfishing, isn't it? It was kind of... She didn't mean to do it. It's sort of... Uh, I, I won't give too much away about the plot, but it's sort of a series of, event, of events led her to do it, which she didn't really mean at all. It just sort of happened that way. And then she's really worried because she's lied about her name. She's lied about a lot of stuff. And... Does she lie about her age? She does, I don't think she lies about her age. She tries to stay as close to the truth as possible. But I love that the lead character, she's very human, she's very flawed, and she does stuff that I would sort of consider quite extreme. When I was first reading the book, I thought, oh, well, that's a bit extreme, like sort of changing her gym to his gym so she bumps into him or sits in the cafe outside where he works, you know, to watch, where, you know, find out where he works. And- no, but I t- took a course and bought a racket to play squash with David... Yeah, well, I was thinking about it afterwards. Although that was my initial reaction, I remember when I was, like, really young, sort of in my teens, I I was very in love with someone called George, which was a drummer in the band at the Greek weddings I used to work at. Very in love with him. He smelt... He used to put kouros all over him in the bath. Oh, I can't smell kouros now without getting a twinge, honestly. Is that a Greek perfume? No, it's, it's aftershave. Kouros, if you've never smelled kouros... Oh, my God. I, if I smell it now, it takes me back to being 18. 
And I did. I used to drive round the block in the hope that he'd come out of the house and just, I could, oh, hello. So I've, I've, I'm a bit ashamed, really, because I think we've all got stalkerish tendencies. I've decided that. That was, that was sort of nice because it was stuff that we could really relate to. But she finds out that this man is actually seeing other women. So she's pretty angry, obviously, contacts these women. And what's really good is they all get together to find out what's going on. It turns out he's the one that's catfishing. So they all sort of get together and deal with him. And what I love about this book is it's got an interesting story and all the characters are very good, but it's the way the women come together. They don't sort of like fight and bitch about, you know, is mine you know, you're seeing my man or anything like that. All these women come together and go, you know, what a bastard. And he's done this to me and he's done that to me. And they all work together to sort of not get revenge, but to sort him out. And it doesn't sound as good as the time traveller's wife. It's, I really enjoyed it. it. It flows really nicely. It's it's one of them books you sit down, come you want tea, to work for Jane Callum? Well, you know, they it's a good book I mean I consider it if she pays more than you I, well I'd work for anyone that paid more do you know what I mean I'm, but I'm, she lives I'm in sold. Hampstead you could go and, and live she lives in Hampstead. Hampstead and she feeds the foxes um, it's a nice well developed story it's a good characters and it's an easy read so you can just power through it it's a really nice easy read have you finished read. it I finished it I'll bring it for you tomorrow but I'm, I'm in the happiness mode anyway at the moment. I'm in the you ha- had a Zoom session, I did, you? I did. With the- did you buy yourself a special light so you look better? No, because I wasn't on it. It was it was a talk given by um, Dr Chatterjee. I didn't actually have... I just listened in. So you could you could type comments, but you weren't actually visible, which was great because at the time I was driving around the horses field, putting hay up and stuff on my earplugs in, so it was quite good. I've been a bit sort of like down and fed up, you know, with, with my back going and and Vertigo and Charlie dying and, you know, and a friend of mine sent me a Zoom link that he was doing this thing for... Is it a real better friend or more. a pretend friend? No, it's a real friend. It's a, it's a real friend. I've never met her, but she's still a real friend. It's not a real friend. She's got my back. She's got my back. And his latest book, which is Happy Mind, Happy Life, and I've just only just started reading it, which is which is good, but I've not, I've not finished it. Um, and his emphasis on it was was we are responsible for our own happiness. We all think happiness is something that's going to just come along when we win the lottery, get the nice car, change our job, get married, find a nice boyfriend. But actually, if we're looking to outside events for happiness and we're looking to outside people, we're probably never really going to find that. There's always going to be something. So the emphasis is about having the skills to be happy and that being happy is something that we can learn to do so he talks about quite a lot of exercises you can do quite a lot of emphasis you can do on finding the good in stuff and finding the positive so it was it's and it's actually on the actionforhappiness.org website there's a, a load of different talks on there for all different people and he was talking about micro stresses. So, you know, we get to the point where we blow up and we lose our temper or become overwhelmed and things are too much. And he was saying it's not 
that that's your trigger point it's all the little things that have happened throughout the day so you wake up in the morning you check your emails you've got stuff from work that you need to deal with you're not even out of bed yet you're trying to do work emails then you knock your cup of coffee over there's all these little things that happen so by the time you're actually up showered and dressed you're already off your head with stress anyway so it's about sort of managing that sort of thing. Don't look at your emails. Get up, have your breakfast, have a shower. Sort yourself out first. Don't spend hours on social media. All the things that can stress you are controllable. So he's got a lot of useful hints and tips. And I've joined up on this. Um, it's free. 10 Days to Happiness program. And it, it's, it's to do with this Action for Happiness website where every day they text you something to do that will increase your happiness so today's one i don't want to be told extra things to do no but it was quite nice today's one i started today with a little video and it just gives you suggestions on how you can find positive thoughts for the day and gives you a little task so it asks you what makes you happy what was your task today then to say what what something that made me laugh something that made me happy so and then it texts you back that so you can remind yourself of it throughout the day so I quite like that because it's free and these talks are also free. They do encourage you to donate or you can buy a ticket. But if you can't afford it, you can still access them. And they're all on the Action for Happiness website in a, in a library. So you can go back and watch any of the talks. Will you send people all, the link on Twitter? I will, I will put the link up. But they're all about well-being. Um, I definitely recommend listening to to this one dr chatterjee's one it's really good and he's got a great podcast as well do you want to hear about this week's column yes let's hear might be nice if you bought me the jane fallon book i'll be in the jane fallon book so this week's column is called in which i ponder my bad luck oh dear so the happiness the happiness thing would have helped you you see i went into the office last week for two days i sat at a desk I used a landline and I wore clothes. I've only been in an office, apart from my one at home, twice in 20 years. The first time was when William married Kate. The second was when Harry married Meghan. So talk about my work ethic. Listen to this. When William and Kate got married, my car broke down in Harley Street on the way there. I was so worried about being five seconds late. I just abandoned it in the middle of Harley Street. I just left it. I can imagine that. When Harry married Meghan, I was shocked that all the other writers packed up and rushed out the door as soon as they'd filed their copy, whereas I stayed until the bitter end, which meant that, although I got to write about Meghan's second wedding dress, the halter next Stella McCartney, oh, I, love that I missed my last train home and had to stay at the Hoxton Hotel at great expense. But no-one else did that. They all no. just ran off. Oh, well, I'm done. I'm, oh, bye, everyone. Bye, bye. Before I went into the office to write about Meghan and Harry, I was groomed more thoroughly and at greater expense than Meghan. Hair dye, lashes, peddy, manicure. I even bought a new suit, whereas everyone else in the office looked as though they were off to the beach. I'm forgetting one other instance when I didn't work from home. I was asked to report on a vote on Brexit in Parliament. It was on a Saturday, do you remember? I got yeah. up at four in the morning. I was assigned a desk in Westminster... But no one told me the password for the Wi-Fi or even told me where the loo was. As I didn't have a security pass, someone was supposed to escort me out of the building at the end of the day. 
but no one could be bothered, so again I missed the last train home. After my latest foray into the office for two days, my agent emailed me with some devastating news. My new novel, which has taken five years to write, has been deemed not strong enough by an important publisher. It seems I haven't improved since my first attempt, a reimagining of the life of suffragette Emily Wilding Davison, who threw herself under the king's horse, was deemed a good idea but poorly executed. They still want to meet you, my agent wrote. They love your voice. Can you go into the office? I don't have the energy to write another book. I should be retired. The only problem is I don't have a pension. Nothing works out. After that phone call from my agent, I was told off for not allowing a viewing at my cottage as I was in London. Teddy, the new collie, refuses to come in the house after a walk. He just lies down in a movable lump. I throw treats to tempt him, but Gracie gets there first. I employed a dog trainer who told me I don't have any authority and that Teddy can feel my anxiety down his lead. Do you like the way I'm always blamed? Well, no, that's, she's just trying to be constructive and helpful. Though, no, isn't she's she? blaming me. No, no, no. She's just trying to help you to create the situation. No, maybe you all. should blame the person who chucked him out in Romania. The new man calls me. You sound fed up. Me. I am. I had to get a taxi from the station to the office as my overnight bag was so heavy and the cab went through Notting Hill, past all those lovely houses in ice cream colours. I kept wondering what on earth the people who live inside them do for a living when I can't even afford a caravan. Going home, the lights were on and they looked so safe and cosy whereas I had a 255-mile journey ahead of me. Him. I'm still gigging all over Europe to pay for my ex-wife's alimony and for my, as you call them, giant children. I'd far rather be growing a, a few broad beans than mowing a lawn. Me. I no longer own a lawn. Him. Your lawn didn't make you happy. You were always taking the mower to be repaired, counting the days until it had to be mown again. Think of not owning a lawn as a liberation. You always said... Your book was so out there, so shocking, the one that's been rejected. Yeah. It would get you sacked. Think of the rejection as a lucky escape, a new start. The people who live in those mansions in Notting Hill aren't necessarily happy. I'm certain some of them are. It just, I got oh, to nice. the end of two days in the office. I had to get a taxi to the station. I'm carrying my bags. And I had a 250-mile journey ahead of me. I wouldn't get home till 10 o'clock at night. I literally almost laid down on the pavement and died. Yeah. No, of course. And it's all relative, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether the people are happy in their nice houses. At that time, you were struggling. So that it's relative. But I'm always struggling. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But he's right. I mean, he is right. It's that, what he says is absolutely true. They're not necessarily happy. I was happy in my house in Islington. Yeah. I used to walk around it just stroking everything and thinking, yeah, the 3 a.m. starts, the stress, the trolling, the pressure getting a plane to Los Angeles and not even having a ticket to get in the Vanity Fair party. It was all sort of worth, worth it. it because I had a lovely house and I'd built something. But now it's not worth it because I have nothing. No. And I think that's the difference, isn't it? Sort of you know, the end of a 12-hour day in an office, you're faced with 250 miles journey. You then have to drive home from the station. You get home, you've got nothing to eat. It's not good enough. No. I might be award-winning, but I have nothing. No, and that's... I've got no respect. 
no peace of mind, no security. I don't even have a pension. And all I've done is be nice to people, buy them houses and buy them presents and give them work and look after their animals and look after their children. Say yes every time I'm given an assignment at work. Yeah, get on a plane tomorrow. Go to Glastonbury tomorrow. When I went to Glastonbury for the mail, they asked me on Friday afternoon. I went the next day. Yeah. I didn't even have a tent. I didn't even know I was going. No. And you're talking about Glastonbury today, aren't yeah. you? You can read this week's diary in full in Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Well, I was made to go to Glastonbury. This is going back to 2008. Yeah, yeah but people go of their own volition. People go because they want to. I don't understand it. Yeah, but they seem to enjoy it. Yeah, but I'd be much more interested in back with the toilet situation. It's just, I'm just, no. I don't want to queue up for toilets with how many thousand people. What did you think of it this this year? Well, do you want me to read the archive? Yeah. Because that's where my thoughts are. Okay. So this is from 2008, my piece on Glastonbury. I know I'm a little bit of a fussy pants. No. I've never knowingly opened a door without using my sleeve or the bottom of my T-shirt for fear of leaving a smudge. I avoid long-haul flights as they mean I have to use the loo on the plane and sit next to a member of the public I know hasn't washed for at least 12 hours. I never buy food from sandwich bars in case the man serving me has scratched his head or worse. Lots of scenarios, therefore, harbour great fear for me. A petrol station that has run out of little plastic gloves for me to use when I fill up the car. The postman inadvertently smudging my letterbox. I say to him, he's scared of me, my postman. <laughs> he runs away. He puts a letter in and then he runs. Him. I don't blame him. But the event that has always made me shiver with the most dread is Glastonbury Festival. Why would anyone sane pay hundreds of pounds to trudge through mud, sleep on the ground and crane one's necks to watch a dubiously famous rock star mumble into a microphone with his eyes closed? If you need proof of how truly disgusting the human race is, of how fine a thread the edifice of civilization is hanging by, of how close we are all to living like animals no not animals an animal would never pitch its tent next to a road of portaloos or against an overflowing bin or vomit on your flip-flops oh dear don't do vomit you should spend the weekend at glastonbury festival that i've just been forced to do by my editor who thought it might make a change from sashaying around in heels fashion shows see there's no respect is there no but i know which i'd take on Saturday, for the second night in a row, I was forced to go to sleep on the ground with my makeup on. A first. Now I know Nicola goes to bed with her makeup on. Oh God, yeah, yeah. If I'm if I'm late, I'm not going to bugger around taking makeup off. I'm too old to worry about my skin. I was able to crouch outside my tent, put up by me, after a great deal of phoning the Millet's hotline, with no help at all from a trio of drunken men in the next row. And despite the useless, made-from-potato starch, biodegradable, cow-friendly tent pegs provided on entry, I managed to brush my teeth with my Philips Sonicare and rinse by swigging from a bottle of Pellegrino. And by then I'd lost my tweezers. I don't think you need your tweezers at Glastonbury. I do. You're just rolling much. I'm as hairy as a bear. 
You fit in there, you'll be fine. Passers-by looked at me on my square of bin bag in my pyjamas. I was the only one who bothered to change. I was going to say, do you And they started shooting videos of me on their mobiles. (laughs) God. I felt like Top Cat getting ready to go to bed in a dustbin. Do you remember Top Cat? I do. Top Cat. I love Top Cat. the leader of the gang. da 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 Actually, I've become, I've become quite fond of my tent, even though wanting my head to be higher than my feet because I forgot a pillow, I pitched it on a slope, which meant in all the nylon, I kept sliding to a heap by the entrance in the middle of the night. Oh dear. I'd felt relatively safe from the throbbing mass outside after crawling inside my tent and zipping it up with all my possessions cradled in my arms. I met two girls whose bags and ugg boots... We were still wearing them. Were stolen from their tent in the middle of the night. Someone actually tucked their boots off. Even the instruments in the come and have a free jam session tent were nicked, which put a dampener on proceedings. Although I was exhausted from all the hours of trudging around in the mud from soundstage to soundstage, all of which are miles from each other, past rows and rows of awful vans selling kebabs or roast hog or magic falafels or awful jewellery made from things like hemp. I couldn't sleep because they never once, not even for 15 minutes, turned the music off or down. I kept putting my head out my tent, out the little hole, saying, what's going on to no avail? It just went on and on and on until dawn. The worst thing about Glastonbury 2008? Go on. Apart from the sea of litter that will cost a million pounds to clear up, made me feel like one of those children in Brazil who live on rubbish tips, and the queuing to use a tap to wash, which made me feel as though I was in a refugee camp, only less dignified, because at least refugees do not choose to be in the position they find themselves in. And the endless trudging with my possessions as if I were leaving Kosovo, and the awful, awful portable toilets that I do not even want to speak about. To be brutally honest, the worst thing? Go on. It was the music. That's a bit sad then, isn't it? (laughs) While the festival might have looked as though it was stuck in the 70s, wonky signs made from bark... The serenity field filled with yellow flags where you could just sit and think. The tie-dyed maxi skirts edged in mud. The women with crimped hair worn in a centre parting. The smell of marijuana and joysticks. What year is this? Yeah, but I'm saying it's like the 70s. This is my whole point. (laughs) If only it sounded like the 70s as well. I've never heard such substandard tosh in all my life. I was squashed in the crowd in front of the pyramid stage on Saturday night, still on my little square of bin bag. I took my bin bag with me everywhere and I just stood on it. I just stood on my bin bag. Waiting for Amy Winehouse to appear. I stood behind the model Lily Cole, who looked as if she'd spent the night on a bed of feathers and a bathed in dew, unable to see a thing. Do you know what I'm going to moan about? Go on. Girls who are on the shoulders of their boyfriends. On shoulders of boyfriends. You can't see a thing. And I'm just thinking, yeah, we on his head. We on his head. (laughs) Oh, God. I've never been on the shoulders of anyone. Not not doing that. Well, well, they'd sink in the mud, wouldn't they, with you on them? <laughs> what, like a drill through down to the 
down to the ground. So I said to Lily Cole, why on earth are you here, I said. It's Amy Winehouse, she shouted back. Indeed, it was. Who else would get away with shuffling around the stage incoherently, stopping for long chats with the band members, occasionally reaching up with a scrawny pot-marked arm to make sure her hair was still there? She was the only person on the entire site who looked worse than I did. But she hardly sang a note in key, I said to an Australian girl next to me who was in raptures. Amy, she was awesome, she shouted. Normally, she never even gets a word out. And Amy kept arguing with everyone in the crowd. She just spent the whole set arguing with people in the crowd. Of course. Only middle-class white people... Do you see how good this piece is? Only middle-class white people, the only ones, let's face it, who could afford to be here. Hippie values are not much in evidence when buying a teeny tiny bottle of flat water for £3 would put up with this nonsense. I couldn't help feeling that everyone here was pretending to have a good time because they thought that's what you're supposed to do. The teenagers and 20-somethings, the ones who were in most rapture, had a sort of detachment from the proceedings, a phenomenon I put down to new technology. It was as if they were viewing everything through their videos or their, on their phones, wanting to store images to download onto their MySpace pages rather than living in the moment. These young people have obviously never seen Aretha Franklin, a real black woman as opposed to a faux one, with real problems rather than self-inflicted ones. I'm a little bit mean about Amy there, aren't I? was going to say, it's a bit harsh, really. We, we love Amy. <laughs> They've never seen Michael Jackson. They've never seen Prince. Real performers who bother to come up with a playlist, memorise their lyrics and even look up now and then at the crowd. The worst act all weekend had to be Jay-Z, billed as the most awesome rapper in the world by the festival's organiser, Michael Evis. You know the people who own Worthy Farm who think they're so worthy? You know the dairy farmers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the feminists... Oh, we love Glastonbury. There were so many women on stage 2022. There were so... Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish. Yeah, cows are women as well. Cows are female. Those who stayed away from the festival because they felt rap was out of place at a rock festival were completely justified. Jay-Z emerged on the stage like an only slightly slimmer version of American Vogue's Andre Leon Talley, dressed despite the warm evening and the pitch dark in a duffel coat with a hood, a scarf and giant sunglasses and he proceeded to shout at us, making us do all the work. <laughs> it was truly dreadful. Thank you all for embracing my culture, he yelled over and over again. He's so political, said the young man on my left. Really? All I heard him say was F. Bush against a huge photograph of said president, followed by a great big banner featuring Barack Obama. On Sunday, having emerged tentatively from my tent with my, my makeup still on. That was bin bag. That's got your bin bag. F- um, I'm still on my bin bag. I took my bin bag everywhere. I'm standing on my bin bag. Oh, God. Glad the sun was shining at last, but dangerously low on wet ones. I went and listened to someone who restored my faith in music. Yes, I saw Neil Diamond. <gasps> Sweet oh, Caroline. Caroline. Dum, dum, dum. He was a man who showed up all the whippersnappers for what they were, spoilt, talentless pretenders to the throne of a real star. I was so tired, damp, and by this stage, I was refusing to visit the hellhole that was the toilet, and I was so cold that I couldn't be bothered to wait for the verve on stage on Sunday night. 
So I took myself off to a field where they were showing films on a giant screen. I tried to gate crash someone else's bonfire <laughs> and I tried to order a taxi to take me home. I'd forgotten where I parked my car, but it was next to a sign. This was my only clue saying, don't do drugs and drive. But an official in a yellow jacket told me there were hundreds of those. <laughs> Eventually, I slowly worked my way back to my tent, lighting my way with my phone, looking long, longingly at the field of luxury teepees. Here, at £6,000 a throw, there were fires and beds and running water and supermodels and civilization. I stared at them, trying to work out how much credit was left on my car. As I left yesterday morning, after waiting for everyone else to depart so that I could spot my car, looking at the tired, smiling faces, I began to wonder... There's a theme this week, you see. There is a theme. I began to wonder if I had that disease where you are unable to enjoy yourself. But I don't think so. Having seen a band live, people always say you had to be there. This time, you really, really didn't. No, you've not sold it to me one little bit. I've got no desire. But wasn't that a brilliant piece? Oh, brilliant. Funny. Funny. Me and my square of bin bag. Have you still got your bin bag? Camping on a slope, so my head would think it was on a pillow. Yes. I was quite mean about Amy Winehouse. You was a little bit, though, right? She was awful. She just wandered around. No, she didn't sing many songs. I thought songs. that about some people in this Glastonbury. I thought they were awful. And it was, like, great to see them because they're great icons. Well, I watched it on telly, but I thought Billie Eilish was amazing. And I thought Olivia Rodriguez was amazing. Didn't and Billie she? Eilish, she's so, she's so the opposite of wanting to look sexy, wanting to work out, wanting to show a midriff. She's just so authentic and she's such an Eeyore. I just love her. Every week, lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. you'd like to get in touch then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess so would you like to hear what our listeners and readers are saying we only do positive we're positive happy people remember so we've got leslie alderman who says dear liz and nick more and more I'm struggling. Oh, this is harking back to what you said about the dairy farm, Glastonbury. More and more I'm struggling. I see the lambs in the field and I can only think that they won't become adults. I see the pictures on Twitter of the reality of our meat and dairy industry and I really want to become vegan. What are your top tips as I'm finding it a bit hard to know where to start? Vegan magnums. Yeah, basically anything you can get, you can get vegan really now, can't you? Cornettos, magnums, coleslaw, potato salad. It's not hard now, is it? No, it used to be very, very hard. Yeah, it did. And it, it's not at all hard now. I mean, if you eat meat, there's there's so many meat replacements. No, I, mean, I spent my entire childhood at high school, Brentwood High School, yeah. the only thing I ate was banana sandwiches. Yeah. Because I couldn't eat school dinners. No. And I, when I moved to London in 1977... I discovered cranks and I was just amazed that there was a vegetarian restaurant. I was just absolutely amazed. And my flatmate, Chris, who became a famous actor, he used to work there as a waiter and he used to bring all the leftover food home because we couldn't afford it. Marvellous. 
homity pie, which oh, my sister used to call vomity pie. That was lovely. So this sort of soaked muesli. Do you remember the soaked muesli? Yeah. Macro rice, which is basically just a tub of brown rice. Yeah. Risotto balls, nut roast. Fortunately, now it's not like that now. I mean, you literally can get anything now. But the only way, because I was so poor as a student, the only way I could afford to eat was Chris, the famous actor, brought the leftovers home. And if he wasn't working, I went to Neil's Yard in Covent Garden where you could have all the free samples of the peanut butter. So I would have a teaspoon of peanut butter from each of the free samples. And there used to be free samples of the bread as well, didn't there? And the muesli. Yeah, yeah. So I fed myself on free samples. So we won't tell Neil's Yard that you probably own lots of money from the free samples. But yeah, it's really, I mean, it's, it's just super easy now. But even if you think about it, beans on toast is vegan. You know, like, you, you, you eat vegan meals and you don't even think about it. Jacket potato with beans. You know, you can get, like, vegan coleslaw. It's just not hard now, you know, and you can actually have a decent cup of tea because the milk is so improved. Years ago, that used to be awful. Absolutely. Soya milk used to be, like, the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So it is incredibly easy. I don't go anywhere now where I can't get a really nice vegan meal. You know, everywhere has got good vegan options. Just... If you're really struggling, you can always get like um, something like all plants, do like meals ready just to see what you can do. Or the Bosch website has hundreds and hundreds oh, she of free keeps going on about recipes. But Bosch are great. You, you must be like Prince Charles, they must be giving you suitcases of cash. No, but what I'd really like them to do is be grateful and come and cook for me. That's what I'd really like. And you get Riverford deliveries, didn't you? Of, of um, Vegan meals as well. They do recipe boxes. Yeah. So I quite like the recipe boxes because it's all in a little dolly-sized little container, so it's quite fun. It's all quite dolly-sized. And there's no waste either, is there? And it's step-by-step instructions, which I really like. We've also got um, Ian Arbuckle, who tweeted, some of the best writing... It's our friend, Ian. Some of the best writing ever from Liz in that George Michael piece. It was a very good interview. I'm very good at interviewing people, It was a good interview. That's because he hasn't read a Glastonbury bit on, though, isn't it, though? Um, Just shows that despite it all, he was really troubled soul, part due to his father. I always thought he had such a sad end. A great podcast again. I just love the mix of stuff you both do. So thank you, Ian. And we've got Susan Winterson who says, Hi, Liz. Nick's right. You say three and a half men, but they seem to pop up everywhere. I'm sure we're over five by now. I think you need to do a head count. Love you and your column. It's true, you know, because you say three and a half. Three and a half. And then another one sort of like creeps in and we're thinking well who's that then three and a half well i think and actually i went through a phase in lockdown of men contacting me on direct messaging and stuff but that does that doesn't happen anymore well we're out of lockdown now and it we're back to normal they're free ranging aren't they they're free range they're off they're off so hang on i think she's right we need a head count three and a half well half was osama bin laden right I had a husband. You had a husband, all right. We assume you had six. David. David. The famous one. The famous one. That's it. Mad Richard. That's four. That's another one then. Yeah, but Mad Richard and Trevor don't really count. Well, you, but uh, well, was it technical sex or <laughs> we had technical sex two podcasts ago? You're right, Susan. It's definitely more yes, than three but... and a half. Osama bin Laden practiced the withdrawal method. It's if it if do you it, know what that means. I do know what that means. 
and it still counts. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.